Welcome to the Explore the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to be exploring the circular economy in China, how it developed from public policy in the 1990s to a more sophisticated understanding today, examples of inaction, including a deep dive on some cases from the mobility sector, and how the concept has developed differently and is viewed differently compared uh, with the European Union. My name is Seb and this is the Explore the Circular Economy podcast, where we look at the transition from a linear take-make-waste economy to one that designs out waste and pollution, keeps products and materials in use and regenerates natural systems. In this conversation, you're going to hear Rhaenyra and Ilma from the Foundation's learning team interviewing Jay and Vigil from the Foundation's China team. And the conversation was kicked off with a question to Jay to give us a bit of a background and history lesson in terms of the circular economy concept in China. Okay, so basically, since the adoption of the opening and the reform policy in 1978, there has been a lot of achievement on the economic front, as we all know, but that comes at a price. So the challenge back then um, was the environment and ecological degradation as a result of this uh, rapid urbanization and industrialization. So to harmonize the economic development and environmental conservation, circular economy was first proposed uh, in the early 90s and it was pretty much inspired by the industrial ecology from Japan and Germany. So then Chinese government quickly endorsed the concept of the circular economy and incorporated it as the national strategy from the 11th five-year plan. And then when we move on, the first milestone was the enforcement of the circular, circular economy promotion law in 2008. That made China the first country uh, to have the circular economy legislation at the national level. Um, besides the legislation, on the practical side, China also implemented quite a lot of demonstration projects, specifically in industrial parks and also at the regional levels. So then the experiences learned and the lessons gained from these initiatives then led to the Circular Economy Action Plan in 2013. Since then, I think China Chinese government really has been a front runner on the circular economy policies with a focus on addressing pollution, promoting resource efficiency, and also industrial ecology. And yeah. could you explain to those who are not familiar to how the how economy operates in China, what we mean by five-year plans? Yeah, sure. Um, I think our Chinese audience will be very familiar with this concept. So basically, five-year plan is China's top-level uh, policy blueprint, which has been created every five years since 1953. So the circular economy was placed um, in the national strategy since the 11th five-year plan, as I mentioned that started in 2006. And now we're in the last year of the 13th 
five-year plans. So going back to what you were talking, Gia, so it's a really great overview, but the last thing we saw on that slide was 2013, which is seven years ago now. So how have things moved on and what about the more recent priorities that China has on circular economy? Yes, you're right. Actually, quite a lot has been happening recently. Just in 2017, that is another milestone for the circular economy policies. So there are actually several policies was released in that year. Uh, first, starting in January, uh, we can see the extended producer responsibility, EPR, was put in place. So sectors like electronics, automobile, batteries, and the packaging products were chosen as priorities. Uh, next big step up was the circular economy development leading action launched in May. And overall, it aims to take circular economy into account through a broader value chain and leverage um, the digital revolution to achieve that. Uh, while we're speaking of the digital revolution, we cannot not we, we can't not mentioning sharing economy in China. So responding to the booming sharing economy, the, the first guideline on promoting sharing economy was released in July. Um, it acknowledged the new business model in China, which is a service over ownership and its potential for improving resource efficiency and utilization. Having said that, the sharing economy was actually booming even before all these policies were laid out. The best, no, the best known example probably is Mobike, which was launched back in 2016 and has a reach even beyond China. You've mentioned the sharing economy and uh, in particular bike sharing schemes. Um, so I think, you know, in Europe, we're quite familiar with bike sharing schemes. So how does the Chinese version of a bike sharing scheme differ from the one in Europe? And what were some of the challenges in implementing the sharing economy at, at scale with the number of people that you have in China? Yeah, I can probably take this question. So when we talk about sharing economy, there is actually a very interesting and dynamic story that really showed the interplay between the market and uh, the government. So as Jay mentioned, the sharing economy, if we look at it from a circular economy perspective, it should be about uh, increased utilization rate for resources. Uh, as we see some examples in Europe, for example, I know this app called PeerBuy, I think, it allows you to share within your neighborhood. But in China, the story is actually quite different. Uh, sharing economy, you could say, kind of started with, with a boom already marked by the bike sharing happening around end of 2016 and beginning of 2017. And also when we talk about the difference in Europe, I think scale is always something to keep in mind since in China we have very big population, we have very big cities. Uh, just a few interesting data for your information. Um, during the first year of Mobikes, uh, the launch, they all the bikes collectively covered about 5.6 billion kilometers in distance. And by their calculation, that's equivalent for 1.2 million tons of carbon reduction. And of course, this boom of bike then triggered uh, this whole bloom of sharing economy in China that covers from cars to clothing, space, and even machinery for agriculture. 
And by 2018, in a year, uh, roughly there were 20 billion euros in investment into sharing economy uh, in this whole scheme in China. So we have a lot of big figures, but in the beginning, nobody really saw it coming. Uh, in the early stage, especially you know, for, for Mobike, uh, they weren't sure if this will take off because normally bikes are uh, government, like public bikes, they are funded by the government. And uh, so there's always public money behind it. But then actually uh, the sharing bike scheme uh, kind of proposed a solution for the last mile challenge for urban mobility. Imagine if you live uh, two, three kilometers from the metro station, these bikes will make a really big difference. So the investors became very interested and then there are a lot more players coming to the market. So for example, in 2017, there were altogether about 70 different bike sharing companies. If you walk down the street in Beijing, you basically see the bikes from all different colors. Uh, and then that, of course, you can imagine created some problems and that's, you can even say it's a bit capitalistic because it's kind of in this free markets and there's a lot of players, a lot of investors, and there's this frenzy for growth. And all these companies are fight, fighting for a space in the market, so which created a bit of oversupply of bikes and then they crowded the public streets and invaded public spaces. And because of this, uh, this desire for growth, there's less attention paid for really caring for these assets. And all these things happen really fast. And I'm sure during that time, if you really observe the space, you probably have come across these photos, the bike graveyards, uh, with a lot of bikes being piled together and not really being attended to. So that's a painful stage of development. Uh, however, the government really stepped in around end of 2017 after giving sharing economy space to evolve freely. Uh, so around end of, seven, end of 2017, the government started to set these system conditions to regulate these bike companies. For example, they would calculate the actual demand for the citizens and then reduce the oversupply and then set designated parking zones. And all these things are used to evaluate bike companies to see how well they manage their assets which then directly link to these companies' permission to even enter the market. So with all these interventions, um, last year there were only about 10 companies remaining still in the space. So there has been a learning curve, like that's, that's really true. And also, uh, let's look, I really think that there's an actually very positive side. Bike sharing uh, provides a lot of potential for green mobility, and it's really good to just really quickly have bikes back in the city again. And the city managers developed a lot of infrastructures to, to promote this, which really helps with the traffic congestion issues. And also the companies are coming up with more innovative ways to design the bikes and try to upcycle them at the end of their, their life cycle. And we observed during the COVID time, uh, bikes are becoming very popular again since it gives people the opportunity to exercise and have fresh air and keep up with the social distancing all, all along. And so it's really about uh, giving more options to people. 
that's quite a story and quite a journey that uh, the bike sharing scheme has been on and continues to be on in China. And it's very different, I think, from the one that we're probably more familiar with uh, over here in Europe. But I mean, bikes are only one mode of transport in cities in China. And I, I wondered whether there were other circular mobility stories coming out of China that we should know about and that we should be learning lessons from. Yeah, we actually have another quite interesting one. So uh, the city of Shenzhen is actually the first city in the world to achieve a full electric bus and taxi fleet. So that means 16,000 buses and 23,000 taxis. So as you can imagine, that's a really big transition to make happen. And this, of course, is driven largely by policymakers simply since we have been trying to advance the industry of electrical vehicle. And uh, behind this political will, there's a lot of collaboration between different departments in the municipality, for example, land use for building charging stations and charging poles, and the traffic control to give priority to the electrical vehicles. And also, of course, financing plays a big part as well. Uh, however, not to overlook, there is uh, the innovation in the private sector and finance sector also play a really key role in actually making it happen. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, transitioning from a diesel vehicle to an electrical vehicle is actually really costly. So, for example, one electric bus costs about 1.8 million RMB, which is a lot of money, and they have to have a lot of them. So uh, there was a lot of um, national and city level subsidy to make it happen, which really took a lot of pressure away. But in the end, it's still a lot of money, a lot of pressure for the bus companies. Uh, so the private sector, the finance institutes come together and then they offer this scheme that um, basically the financiers will buy these buses and rent, rent them out to bus companies to help them to achieve this transition. Yeah, sorry, I just want to, um, just following on what Virgil mentioned about the case in Shenzhen city. I think the cities are where new infrastructure development happens, especially in mobility and the built environment sectors. You know, I just wanted to add another example. For example, China is planning to build um, something between 20,000 and 50,000 new high-rise buildings. That is up to 10 New York cities um, by 2025. So we think about the scales. Um, so China is still continued you know, having this rapid urbanization. And, and all of this present a massive opportunities for uh, cities in China to apply the circular economy principles. Um, two years ago at the foundation, we did research looking to the benefits of circular economies in five key sectors in China, which are built environment, mobility, urban food system, electronics, and the textile. So um, the full report could be found in our website under the um, publication page. Thank you, Jia, and thank you for referencing to the report. And indeed, it's freely and publicly accessible for anyone who visits our website, and it's called The Circle Economy Opportunity for Urban and Industrial Innovation in China. And now that you mentioned other areas where circle economy could be applied and that we touched upon in that report, maybe you could briefly tell us a bit more about examples from other industries, for instance, textiles. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we've seen many um, initiatives across different sectors. So, for example, uh, in a built environment, we've seen advanced technology like 3D printing used in construction. And you also mentioned about the textile. China, as we all know, is the biggest manufacturer and exporter in textiles. And it also has a huge domestic market. So another sharing platform, which is called White Closet, it, it lets people to rent clothes easily based on a very small subscription fee. They, the, 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 the user pay monthly. Uh, yeah, because of time, I won't be able to dive into many other cases, but you will find a lot more in our report. Um, just try to summarize, you know, what we found out is clearly moving towards to a circular economy could ensure that a higher quality of life is affordable for more Chinese urban citizens. And at the same time, reducing negative environment uh, impacts. Thank you, Gia. It's great that we've got so many examples and I would recommend to everybody to go and download the report and have a read of those. I mean, here in Europe, you know, circular economy is really gaining momentum as it is, as it is globally. Uh, we've had the 2015 Circular Economy Action Plan, the 2020 Green Deal. I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on the differences between China's circular economy journey and Europe's circular economy journey. Thanks, Renira. Um, that's a great question. Um, I think that the biggest disparity lies in two fundamentally different societies. Mm. So the rationale for circular economy policy is presented in different ways. Uh, while the EU as a, developed, as a developed area has formed a mature consumption-based society, uh, China's development has been and is still largely driven by the rapid urbanization and industrialization. So in the EU, as stated by the European Commission, circular economy will boost the EU's competitiveness by protecting business against resource um, scarcity and price volatility, uh, helping to create new business opportunities and more efficient ways of producing and consuming. However, in China, circular economy is widely adopted to solve the environment pollution associated with industries to reconcile the economic growth and the environment and the social concerns. So, you know, because of the two very distinct contexts, the focus area of applying circular economies differs. So we know EU's 2015 Circular Economy Action Plan focused on plastic, food waste, uh, construction and the demolition, etc. In China, the early initiatives had a focus on the three R principles, which are reuse, reduce and recycle. Um, it was about improving municipal waste management, you know, further utilizing industrial byproducts and reducing pollutions as well. Uh, I would say only recently there has been a shift from adopting a cleanup approach to a more holistic way of tackling the environment and the social externalities. 
And even though Europe and China has these quite distinct different contexts and therefore our focus areas and circle economy differ, nonetheless, because we operate in the very interconnected global economy, we have to face some of the shared challenges from climate change to plastic pollution. So where so are there areas where we need a global joint effort from Europe and China? And what would these areas be and how we could address them? Yeah, absolutely. You are right. Even though there are quite a lot of differences between the two superpowers, but there are also common challenges faced by us. So um, the, the first agreement between EU and China um, was the MOU on Circular Economy Cooperation, which was signed actually in July back in 2018. So the MOU initially lasted for five years and has the objective to align the EU and China on policies that support the transition to the circular economy. Um, policies including EPR, extended producer responsibility, green supply chains, uh, legislation, um, best practice of circular economy for plastics and waste, uh, innovative circular economy business models, eco uh, labeling and also eco design, et cetera, and et cetera. So one of the major focus areas is to tackle plastic waste as well as the packaging waste. You know, both of the, both are the tricky problems, you know, faced by Europe and China. Thank you all. And thank you at home for listening. I think what I'm going to take from this conversation crucially is this notion that the circular economy is going to develop differently based on the context on which it is developing in. And I think that was especially highlighted in some of the differences and similarities that Jay completed that conversation by highlighting between the European Union and China, both of which have circular economy as a strategic priority. And it'll be interesting to see how things develop from here. We are going to be exploring a more diverse set of geographies across episodes of this podcast in the coming weeks, including Latin America and Africa. So stay tuned. But that's all for this episode. Do remember to like, share, comment and do all those nice things wherever you're listening to our podcast. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's Explore the Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share, rate and subscribe.